0: Welcome to Question Mark, the podcast, exploring the greatest story ever told, with open minds and open hearts.
1: Light it up, we won't come down, and the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. And this is the greatest show, where it's covered in all the colored lights, and the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. And this is the greatest show. Hello everybody, welcome again to Question Mark, the podcast, that podcast which explores Mark's gospel, the greatest story ever told. And I'm so happy today to be joined by my good friend and in many ways my inspiration, Canon Neville Boundy of Bristol Cathedral. And without further ado, Nev, it's really good to see you. And I'm just wondering, for those who don't know you, Uh, whether you'd be able to say a little bit about yourself.
2: Yes, I mean, you mentioned Canon and Bristol Cathedral. I retired 22 years ago and was made a Canon about 18 months before I retired. Been in Bristol um, since 1960. um, Three parishes in Bristol, St. Mary Redcliffe, St. Stephen Southmead, Collin Parish Church. Chaplain to the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School and the Bristol Old Vic. Made pilgrimages of a sort to South Africa for three months, to Zurich for three months. Um, have written five plays, um, one of which I would like to do again, and one needs to be rewritten because it's got too much about me in it. I think that's enough for now, don't you? That's um, great to be here on this this, this event. Oh, well,
1: thanks, Nev. It's brilliant for you to be here too. For me, um, Nev, your biography is. As ever, everything you say to me when we speak, it makes me feel extremely curious. I'd love to delve into more detail uh, on some of the things you've just mentioned, but we have a a job to do. We're looking at a passage from Mark's Gospel. On which note, Nev, would it be helpful, I wonder, for you to tell us a little bit about how you you got to know me?
2: Oh, well, I bumped into you on College Green. You were waiting for some PA equipment before you were going to recite Mark's Gospel right through. I came up to you and asked a key question, where are you ending? And you said, chapter 16, verse 8, at which point I thanked God for your existence and about to do it on College Green. I had to leave before the end um, because I had another thing, but that was the beginning. And seeing you do it in the open air, trying to catch people as they were drifting around. um, And it's been great because you did it in the cathedral and... um, uh, yeah, we've talked about it a lot. Yes, and I've got to say to anyone who's listening
1: or watching this that, as I hinted at the beginning, Nev has been an amazing influence in my life. Um, his encouragement, that, that chance meeting actually, has set me on the road to, if you like, where I am now, which is an exciting adventure to say the least. And um, yeah, Nev, when I've spoken to you about Mark's Gospel in the past, mm-hmm. it's always been revelatory. Um, I don't necessarily think we always agree, but you have such a profound understanding of this amazing book that to have, you on, to have you on the show is like
2: a dream for me. So I'm so grateful that you' hang on two, two things. One is that seriously, I'm only scratching the surface. <laughs> the end of four quartets, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. And if you're grateful to me, it's because Mark's amazing gospel that in our current climate is needed from start to finish.
1: You said that many times in our chats, Nev. Just Mm -hmm. from from the point of view of those who are listening now, could you elaborate a little bit about why you say it?
2: Yes, I mean, uh, it was, so far as we know, it was the first gospel to be written. Um, It is, of course, the shortest. Some think it's unfinished. Um, I think it's amazing that it ever got included when the churches, or, you know, Christians got together to decide what would be in, as they called it, the New Testament. And given the fact that Matthew, who came after Mark, has got most of what is in Mark, it could well have been dropped. I mean, because I think it is uncompromising and challenging. Um, and I mean, I have to say, it's, it's, it's one of four, and thank God, thank God he gave us four. Mark, I think, and I mean, we to talk about this, for people in despair, for people who have failures. Matthew read this and wanting to write for Jewish students, put in a lot of questions i much prefer the Holy Scriptures to be called that, not the Old Testament, which seems a bit patronizing. Luke as a doctor, if he was, concerned with healing and therefore forgiveness. And John Almighty, I mean, (laughs) you know, you don't begin with sort of shepherds or kings or just plunging in at the the middle of the story, really, with John the Baptist. Um, In the beginning was the word Greek is logos and he goes off on something that is beyond description and beyond understanding but worth exploring mm-hmm. particularly as at the age I am now I'm cramming for my finals and I find the prologue to John's gospel and the high priestly prayer and the passion narrative and I balance that with continuing to read and love and be frightened by and comforted by Mark's gospel yeah
1: well I do trust that this podcast today will be an experience for any who listen of being challenged as well as comforted by uh, by Mark's gospel so without further ado what we'll, we'll, we'll listen to now is a reading of that same book um this time however we'll be looking at chapter three and uh, the chapter, the, the verses will include uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verses 13 through to 18. Um, and this is the, the portion of scripture in which Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him.
0: Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19, New International Version. Jesus appoints the 12. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons these are the twelve he appointed simon to whom he gave the name peter james son of zebedee and his brother john to them he gave the name boanerges which means sons of thunder andrew philip bartholomew matthew thomas James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him.
1: So there you have it, Nev. Um, That was a reading by my good friend, Lucy Warner. And that's for those who are listening to this podcast. If you happen to be watching it on YouTube, you would have seen a version of the gospel performed by well myself in a film called I Am Mark for CMAX TV nev as we think about this amazing passage um i wonder have you got any general reflections on it
2: yeah it's um earlier in the gospel he calls the um peter and um andrew isn't it and then james and john um matthew also includes that but but Mark gives more detail in that it's obvious that not only were the four going to be disrupted but also poor old Zebedee who's left without his sons and just hired people to help him carry on the fishing. Um, One thing I would like to suggest to people because I found this very helpful is find oh 90 minutes not as much to read the gospel straight through out loud and if you bear in mind that you know we're now on chapter three, but we've now mentioned those four twice. Mm. And they are called, but not to success. They are called, I think, to explore and to fail and to experience the resurrection as well. Obviously, not Judas. But I it may be that I've read it so often, and now I'm dangerously fixed. If, with thinking the gospel is really so challenging throughout. Mm -hmm. And I I do jump often to James and John who came to Jesus at the end, towards the end, and said, we want the best seats in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Matthew softens that, it's their mother who comes and asks, a good Jewish mother looking after her boys. And Jesus says to them, can you drink the cup that we... They say, oh yes, we can. And he says, yes, you will. And I think I'm glad of the other three gospels, because it isn't in some ways quite so frightening and demanding, called them to be with him and uh that's a mystery, isn't it why he chose them mm-hmm. but then I feel this for myself and a lot of people called to different forms of ministry, you know you want to say to Jesus very politely, you know are you, do you know what you're doing
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean You know, there are a lot of reliable people around. (laughs) There are a lot of people who are very loving. Um, I think I'll stop there, really.
1: Yeah, I think what you're hinting, perhaps, is that these are a motley crew. Um, They're not successes. They are people who have got
2: flaws. Um, We also, it seems to be important, we know very little about them. Yeah. And uh, well, I think that leads to, to me, um, and I hope those who, who are able to interrupt will want to do so. Um, uh, we know so little about them. Sorry, I've, I've reached the age also when I, I'm in the middle of a sentence, and then get lost. So chime in and, and I may come back to it.
1: Okay, fair enough. Right, sorry. Right. Well, I suspect what would be helpful is for us to maybe look at this bit by bit, actually. Um, I think it's really always good if we can maybe locate this passage in its context. In other words we know this was written at a particular period in time, uh, I think we both agree, probably around about 70 AD and therefore it was written for a particular audience and I think we can also both agree that Mark wasn't just some kind of automaton who was transcribing what he heard from God. We, believe, we do believe in the Holy Spirit and his work in helping, inspiring, etc., the biblical texts, but Mark himself was a human being. And from my understanding, as I performed this, it seems clear that he had a particular agenda. He had a theological understanding that he wanted to convey. Um, he didn't necessarily say it in so many words, but in the way he wrote the story. So I think it's really important as we look at this passage bit by bit to, to consider that, to consider the context. And what it must have meant to Come. first hearers but and, and i think this is crucial too what you're saying about mark being relevant for us today and actually really important for us today is also discernible i think in, the, in this in in the words here that there'll be references to things which we can um we can help ourselves with we can be inspired by In our own time so if i if i simply read out to you the first of our verses verse 13 jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him apparently an innocuous sentence nothing much going on there but i wonder nev
2: your thought well well, my my thought and it's not mine it's you know i've read many helpful commentaries if it was written in A.D. seventy, then I think most of the original or the surviving eleven, as I want to call them, um, would have died. They'd have gone on. I love the idea of, of if they, if they, if, if those that you read the names you read out, if they were like me and they heard there was a gospel, you immediately looked to the index and have I been mentioned? <laughs> um, and, and they'd already gone. Yeah. I don't know where I got this from, but it's it's not original to, to me. Um, that he was writing not for the original 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. He was writing for the disciples that he knew in AD 70. Yeah. I don't know where I got this from. I think if he's being judgmental on the disciples, and very often in his gospel, they really are a bunch of wallies. They don't get it. Okay. He stays with them. Um, and he's writing for the community, and it may not have been very big, um, that he knew. And when he looked in his mirror and he looked at them and realized the demand and the opportunity and the missed opportunities, he's writing for people who believe they've fallen short. And that's why, for him, the cry from the cross, I think is a cry of absolute despair. Mm. And if nothing else, this is why Matthew and Luke and John said, of of course there would have been despair in being crucified. But the very moment you think this is the absolute end, may be the moment that he is most present. And I find that frightening. In the world that we are destroying, in Glasgow and elsewhere, Mm. and the more it gets terrible and the more it seems hopeless, and is there a God, mm. then I think I think Mark says it very quietly. Um, Just read my gospel. Mm. They all fled. Um, and that great cry from the cross. And it was a great scholar who thought, um, said once, he wished that Mark had put in some adverbs so that when the centurion says, Truly, this man was the son of God. It's part of the despair. He was being sarcastic. He was joking. Mm. Because at that moment, the saviour was naked, dead, complete failure. And if we feel overwhelmed, as many people do, by what we've done to the planet and are doing, Mm. and, you know, a, a society that's so divided we can't discuss, we just shout at each other, Mm-hmm. And I get a feeling of hopelessness, and I find myself it's not an escape, it's a way of staying with the hopelessness in the belief that that is not the end. Yeah. And the harder it gets, you know, has you know, compared with what some of my friends have been through, and what, what some of the people in the third world and trying to get a word in in Glasgow talking about. My life has been quiet and comfortable, but there are moments of pain and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, if, I think it's a quiet prayer that, thank God Mark's gospel was included. That without Mark, I think the others wouldn't have so much as it were bounce off. Um, And we need all four um and there are moments of glory forgiveness i used to dislike Matthew. i think obedience has got quite a lot going for it even if i haven't left many years left to try and practice it for the benefit of other people
1: i mean i really do appreciate what you're saying about despair um and yet you're also hinting at hope aren't you that mark doesn't leave us
2: with despair,
1: or fingers isn't left
2: with despair? Well, he leave, is it that he leaves us to find it? I mean, that, you know, the women said nothing to anybody, mm. and it was somebody else who said to me, if there was another one verse, Mark might have said, they said nothing, what do we say? Yeah. And can we say it from our own humble and grateful experience? Yeah, and knowing that every time you embrace that, you may be given another opportunity to embrace it.
1: Yeah, I mean, who knows what the real economy of the cross really is? We can guess at it. We can, from with Mark's help and other texts, we can begin to discern it. But I'm sure uh, there are moments in my life too where there's been difficulty and 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 pain. But at the end of it, one looks back and one sees actually God's presence never having left. Um, and at the point of worst experience, the worst of the experience, there is nevertheless some, something positive. Um, it's very difficult to describe, but it certainly helped me to recognise that's going on in Mark. Um, I mean, in terms of that verse that I read out, verse 13 I I wonder personally about this idea about going up on a mountainside and I I noted in when I looked at this Nev in Luke's gospel um, this same episode is described as Jesus going up on the mountainside and spending the whole night there and then he chooses the disciples so it from a purely practical point of view, Jesus seems to have spent a long time in communion with his Father, and perhaps it could be it could be surmised that as a result of that communion, he knows the ones he wanted. Um, which is an interesting it's an interesting insight perhaps into Jesus's devotional life. Um, but the other thing I think I don't know whether you agree with this is this idea of being up on a mountainside. It's like it's reminiscent. I I, like you I've benefited from many books on this subject but one of the things I think that's quite common when I read about this in other books it's they say it's reminiscent of um, Moses Moses went up Mount Sinai to meet with God so there's a there's a moment of connection with the eternal here Jesus leaving his earthly ministry to commune with God and in this case, he, he calls people to him. He, and, and, and it is rather like Moses in that respect, because I think Moses had a similar experience where he called Aaron to him. So there's, some, there's something going on. In, in, from where I, what I can see, it's not just a story, which is wonderful and to be enjoyed in its own, on its own terms, but there are all sorts of kind of resonances as well, active, mm-hmm. back into the, into the scriptures.
2: Well I, yeah, I would come it slightly differently. Mm. I mean that all translations are a paraphrase, some do say mountain, but others call them the hill country. Right. Um, sort of contrast then with this, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is the Sermon on the plain in Luke. Yeah. There's also the question, and I never know whether I'm being blasphemous or helpful in saying he prayed all night and then chose Judas. He chose the ones that he called. Was his father saying to him, you will need a betrayer?
1: Mm.
2: And Jesus saying, I don't think I want that. And a bit of my imagination, at the end of being all night in prayer, the first one he then went to, the list is given to us by, by Mark and by Matthew, but the first one he went to Judas first because you get the toughest out of the way first.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And also, which I discovered, and this was in play that I wrote, a conversation between Jesus and, and, and his father, um, that, uh, um, that, oh yes, in my play, which was done before the Gospels of Judas were discovered, in the play, um, The father says to Jesus, you haven't mentioned Judas for a bit, and he said, well, I think of him all the time because we go for walks together. And in the Gospel of Judas, um, as I say, it was found and sort of disentangled and published um, after I wrote my play, um, the idea that Jesus befriended him and gave him the courage or whatever he needed in order to betray him, because as James Hillman said in a brilliant essay on betrayal, what is the worst that can happen to you um, and the play was done well, I wasn't present in a prison in Bristol and when it got to the line what's the worst that can happen and um, the father says the worst that can happen to a human being is to be betrayed mm-hmm. and at that point two of the prisoners got up and walked out and didn't come back. Wow. Do you think Jesus
1: knew then, um, when he picked Judas that he was his betrayer did I'm assuming at some point it's clear from Mark's gospel that he knows that he is meant to die he's meant to suffer did he know at this stage he was meant to suffer and he knew the person who was going to be the um, you know the, the person who started off that process and chose him anyway
2: well if James Hillman was right in an essay that he wrote, saying that the worst that can happen is to be to, is to be betrayed, enemies defeat you, um, friends betray, mm. and if he was to, in one sense, experience the worst of being let down by one of the people that he chose, mm. um, and I, I think it's there for a purpose. I um, think under a very challenging area of how much insight and foresight that jesus had
1: yeah
2: i mean if i can come to an incident which i do think in, in 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 the gospels um at the last supper i think when you know son of god um yes jesus christ yes comes into the room with those 12 and humanly speaking not one of them would have dared to look at him and um And he looked at them. And a human being, a good leader even, at that point would have said to them, um, There's a chipper down the, you know, there's a takeaway. We'll meet in in, in, in Gethsemane in an hour's time. I'm going to go and have supper with mother. And it's in John's Gospel. Judas came to the garden, which he knew because Jesus had often met them in the garden of Gethsemane. Mm Um, yes it's interesting the number of you know well jesus christ superstar judas is the second biggest part yeah do you think then
1: he do you think going back to the question he did have insight because certainly in the last supper he in mark he says doesn't he one of you will betray me he knows then he doesn't necessarily hint, hint as to who it is
2: I think it's I think it's part of the area of exploration and doubt. Mm. I think theologians have argued about it all done and rightly so. How much was intelligence? How much was um, as in the Gospel of John? I and the Father are one. that's yeah. um, pretty unusual. Yes, <laughs> um, I love the idea of Jesus. Knowing there needed to be a betrayer. Yes, and I mean there is, and I'm not the first person to suggest. And when in John's Gospel he says, "What what you've got to do, go and do it quickly." There is a way of, you know, if you're going to betray me for your sake, and actually for mine, is hanging around waiting. Mm. Um,
1: So Nevia, what you've said about um, about Judas, about Jesus knowing was going to be betrayed it really it really underlines for me the, the importance of something else you said earlier about Mark's gospel about Mark kind of stressing that the Christian life is one of suffering as much as it is one of joy in knowing God and I think that for me is the one of the most challenging aspects and Jesus's life is meant in this way I think to be an example to us as Christians and it's certainly to those who mark who Mark was writing for I don't know if you'd agree with that
2: um, sort of um, I I just feel that I you know the sort of Protestant guilt and failure and all that um, I just think've um, i been very touched or impressed by those with disaster or difficulty can one embrace them rather than resent mm-hmm. And i say that with reluctance because i don't know who's listening to who would find that extraordinary unhelpful mm. and i also find there's a i think there's an irony sometimes with god you you think you're embracing something when well, i've got news for you there's a bit more of the same and i think the whole thing about about suffering and um I'm struggling with a a small book, which is I know meant to be helpful, and I'm going on struggling with it. Why did Jesus have to die? Mm. And there's something about the perfect father and the sacrificing or the door opening son that um, at times I feel I'm not very interested in that kind of father, frankly. Um, But then needing to remember Name title of a book that J. B. Phillips wrote or something around about 1950. Our God is too small, mm. and sometimes when I doubt God, I think it's God is. I've managed to catch a glimpse of her, um, and there's much more to be experienced, loved, um, acknowledged. Um, we are on a journey yeah we are explorers which is another reason why god gave us four gospels and not one
1: (laughs) yeah it's brilliant there thank you so he appointed 12 says verse 14 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach
2: and to have authority to drive out demons i'm very puzzled by that I mean, and, and, and you know that he, because um, where the death of John the Baptist, the disciples are sent out. Then there's the do- death, sorry, death, of John the Baptist, and then they all come back. They've been very successful. Yeah. What did they preach? Was um, the important thing about Jesus is the death and resurrection, and you know, enviously. I mean, I, I mean, I think if, if I was hoping to um, if I start my ministry all over again, you know. Pray for the gift of healing. they would tell people to keep quiet because otherwise you'd be flooded. Um, I think the other thing I'd ask for when I was starting my ministry all over again is the ability to remember people's names. <laughs> but, you know, this is written way after. Um, he chose them, he appointed them to, to be with him. Yeah. Oh. Crumbs. I mean, talk about Gethsemane. And if you've been to Gethsemane, which I have, um, and was pointed out by a wonderful Jewish student. Um, this is this is probably what it was like then, except that it would have been dark, and we could see where you can run away from the night that we were there, because you could see where the trees were. Mm. Um, when they were running away, they would, God knows, they would bruised themselves shooting through that, close, you know. Um, it's dark. Oh. I don't know. I think the humanity of Jesus is as much beyond our understanding as the divinity, if there was some, or sorry, since there is some. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love that fact that you pointed out Gethsemane because they, they might be with him. This is in chapter three that this is yeah. mentioned, but it's going to, it might be with him all the way through. And at the end, as you rightly say, they weren't. Um,
2: and isn't that, I mean, if Mark is writing for people experiencing discipleship, one knows, looks back at, you know, I've got a swift tongue sometimes and it says things that are horribly cruel. Sometimes they're meant to be funny and they're even worse. <laughs> you know, that however much one wants to be loving to the people one doesn't actually love, how long to reorder one's life, it isn't just governments that are ignoring the poor in the third world. You know, do you have a fistful of coins so that every time you pass somebody begging in the street? And to what extent are we involved politically so that the, the ordering of priorities, you know, it's a silly and simple thing to say, why are we building an aircraft carrier when, you know, there are people are going to be starving to death already, and it's going to get worse. Mm. Um, And there is a kind of trying to hold the stillness or be held by the stillness of the four gospels of the despair and guilt at falling short And then the place for obedience, which is what I think Matthew is about. Mm. And then, astonishingly, the way that Luke keeps coming back to forgiveness. And, you know, being provocative, I think the three bits of forgiveness, those who complained he was eating with the wrong people. And, you know, there's a lost sheep and a lost coin and then two lost sons. Well, neither the coin nor the sheep can repent, but they were found. And I don't think the younger son repented. I think he made an economic assessment (laughs) of the situation. came home not to eat at the same table of his bloody brother, but I'll eat with the servants. I mean, I have great sympathy with the elder brother. I think his younger brother was a nasty piece of work. And he spent his inheritance, which meant that the elder brother would now be sharing his inheritance. (laughs) A lot of reasons for not liking him. (laughs) And that's not all that, I've never had a brother. I had a sister, it took me years to come to see how super she was. It's brilliant.
1: I think, for me, I think the idea of being with Jesus obviously has a a particular resonance. it, It doesn't describe the devotional life as such here, but for me, the fact that he wants the 12 to be with him, first of all, underlines the importance of our devotional lives before obedience before we do anything um that vital connection is necessary you know going back to john chapter 15 about being part of the vine you can't do anything without me says jesus and there's something about um a close walk with jesus in prayer that is the fuel for any action and so I don't know, maybe it's completely accidental, but the, the, the order in which those phrases appear. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. It's being before action that really, that really uh, resonates with me. What about the fact though, that many commentators have made this point. What about the fact that
2: he appointed 12 Oh, gosh, I hadn't realised you were so um, politically sound. I don't mind inviting twelve. I think that, I have to be very careful saying that Jesus failed. Um, I think that, I think things would have been very different if he completely broken with what was the custom. And the norm in it, the society in which he lived, and he chosen six men and six women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would it be different, definitely. But it's, you know, the patriarchal society, and um, well, I'm part of it because I think, that, I don't think men are superior, it's just, no, but that whole sort of taking us ages to get to the point where recognizing equally the gifts that are different and need mm-hmm. to be welcomed My Buddhist analyst said to me when we were talking about ordained women, the trouble is that you've, you know, you've ordained women without respecting the feminine. Interesting. Wow. Very controversial, but interesting point. I
1: I think. I mean, it it is true that he he appointed twelve men, but he was, in a sense, you could say, breaking convention. Quite enough, thank you very
2: much. In so far as, oh, a man would say that, but the women who feel left out wouldn't. <laughs> they would.
1: We could talk now about, of course, the the importance of women in Mark's gospel, um, and it is fascinating, isn't it, that the women get quite um, quite a lot of exposure. They not, may not be named as me- as much, but they are nevertheless named. They are actually nevertheless mentioned, and the 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 last people, the last disciples to be mentioned in this gospel, if we stop at verse 8, are, of course, three women. Um, the first person that Jesus heals is a woman. There's something about even Mark's view of things, which would have been slightly countercultural, I would imagine, for the time. But here, Jesus appoints 12 men, obviously. Um, I was thinking personally about the idea that The 12, the number 12, has a particular kind of significance, doesn't it? And we think immediately of the children of Israel. And I think many commentators would say that in appointing 12 men, he's he's actually doing something rather radical. He's saying, this is a new covenant. This is a new um, people of God that I'm starting the foundations for. Um, This is God's chosen people. Who, who these people turn out to be, whether he's talking about the church as the new Israel, as some would say, I don't know. But nevertheless, there's something really quite revolutionary in what he's doing. If, if that's true, that the number 12 is of that significance.
2: Well, it obviously mattered to the gospel writers. Yes. And of course, yeah,
1: That's interesting. It's either, it's either the gospel writers... Kind of perspective we're thinking about here, or
2: it's Jesus's own, or maybe both. You know, that's that's well, it's part of the 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 very the way that the Gospels um, got to us. Do you know, it was uh, after thirty six years in three parishes ministry. The Monday after I s- stopped working, in one sense. And I don't know why it took so long. It was, I remember being in the church that I was, had already left the previous evening. Um, suddenly struck me, my God, um, until the advent of the printing press, every single copy was handwritten. Mm-hmm. Wow. And there wasn't drinkable water around. So if you're making a copy of the gospel starting in the northern hemisphere, say about half our eight, in the morning and going on till sort of six o'clock in the evening, A, you'd get crammed. If you were thirsty, by the time, you know, by soon after lunch, I think, you know, the pen would start wandering all over the place if you got one. Um, It's just, so every copy was different. Because even when they were printed, there's the British Bible, and there's um, which is in St. Mary Redcliffe, there's too many E's in it. Um, There were misprints. It takes. It took me 14 hours to write Mark's gospel out, but that's not the, the right figure because I was writing in joined-up writing in English, and, of course, they would have been written in block capitals in Greek without any verse numbers, not much punctuation. Yeah. The other thing I wish there was and, would, and I don't know enough about the Greek, whether they, there is such a thing as a question mark or an exclamation mark or inverted commas. You know? Yes. Good point. And didn't we know anybody who was doing shorthand? I don't
1: know. Let's just talk about what it says about preaching. You said earlier, I wonder what they did preach. Wouldn't the answer be, and it's not easy to say this because I'm not sure the answer is clear, but would possibly, the answer is, um, what Jesus preached. So, in order for them to know in order for them to preach they would need to be with him we we know that and i imagine jesus would tell them what to preach in order to preach it and and jesus preached um the kingdom of god is at hand isn't it and he says repent believe in the good news and for those who who are not aware my, my own understanding of that is that in the in jesus in the person of jesus god has started a a new um a new age in human affairs and god has sent a a person to rescue humanity from where they are from the from another kingdom i would suggest from what mark says the kingdom of satan to overthrow that that kingdom and to bring a new way of living a new dimension of human existence into being so i don't know what they produced but i would imagine it's that phrase at least whatever that phrase means
2: i think it's a phrase that should be embraced not resented Uh, uh, and if i'm if there's any truth in Mark wrote his gospel for current disciples, not the twelve or the eleven. Then the question that you're asking is, for those of us who are believers now, I um, don't think it's an incredibly important question. Mm-hmm. And part of the answer was it Saint Francis who said, "Preach the gospel in season and out of season, in every opportunity." And as a last resort, use words. Yes. And then you, you know, I look in the mirror sometimes and think, God, this isn't a face that's shining with the glory of God. (laughs) Not quite sure what it would look like, but it wouldn't be like what, well, maybe it would be. There'd be an element of something. I, I, you know, when I start going down this sort of Protestant guilt failure thing, I think it was. Jung or Freud, I always get them muddled, um, who said, you know, we don't know when we've been successful and it's just as well we don't, because if we knew we'd been successful, we would try and repeat it and it wouldn't be so appropriate. <laughs> I think some of that is me, but most of it's meant to be young That's Freud. really, really
1: good, I like that. Really. I love that point about preaching being a matter, not just of words. I don't know about the original Greek here, but I'd imagine the original Greek means actual words heralding, I think it actually means. So there's something going on about words, but it is a little bit interesting, I think. And um...
2: But I think that the, the if it was St. Francis, it's, it's the point is that, um, oh, it was Henri Perrin, I think, the French worker-priest um, who said that we should, well, they became worker-priests, they were indistinguishable from all the other people in the factory because they hid their priesthood. Mm. And that the task of the worker priests was to lead the kind of lives which people would say, well, "What is it about you that's different?" Mm. Um, and uh, that's another whole, well, some it's a, it's a tragic story because it was working and then it was closed down by those who felt threatened by it. But you know, we lead the kind of lives just by the way that we that we are. And, of course, within that context, and the worker priests in France, where the, um, there weren't many safety regulations, amongst many other things, um, that they behaved f- faithfully alongside um, fellow workers who spotted something in them. So they became very active in the trade union, yeah. because that was a way of caring for and loving your neighbours effectively, not just l- locally, personally, but in the structure of you know, people who were building huge, great, and there was a great dam that was being built and the number of people that were killed and there wasn't much safety um, built into the whole system. And you needed somebody who, you know, would try to find out a way of, of being secular priests in a secular situation. Yeah. That What do we do? Well, we start with where the people are who are suffering in this particular setup.
1: Yeah white wise words I'm looking at the time um, nev and I'm thinking what we probably ought to do now is just to reflect perhaps together on the rest of the passage what are what are the highlights for you what really strikes you as being of well, most important? oh well the thing
2: I love I'm sorry I really love it the fact we know so practically nothing about all of them <laughs> I mean great you know you know he hasn't chosen the big the powerful the noisy the Promoted. Um, uh, I mean, I think again, you see it's the challenge that you know they they were sent out, and we're sent out, and you think, well, you know, the number of times that one has had an opportunity of not preaching, but well, standing up for what is right. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I I am. I mean, I've spent recommending. Well, you get. A, a, copy of Mark's Gospel and just underline or highlight the journey of those disciples. Um, And, you know, that incredible thing, sorry, I've got it here, um, you know, that um, Mark 8, 14 to 21, you know, why are you talking about having no bread? You still not understand? Still not realize? Your mind's closed. You eyes and do not see, and ears not hear. You don't remember when I broke the five loaves of the five thousand, how many baskets full of scraps did you collect? And Twelve. When I broke the seven loaves of the four thousand, how many baskets full of scraps? You seven. Do you still not understand? Um, I think he must have been bonkers at that point. And that's the contrast between Mark and Matthew, who says, Oh. Jesus, now you've made it absolutely clear. Well, I'm amongst those who have being shouted at for not getting it. Matthew is further on than where I am. At the moment. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I take that point about the disciples in Mark. Absolutely, you, you say we don't know much about any of them, and, and that is interesting, isn't it? Um, they don't. Many I,
2: of them don't get. I, them. I long to know. Come on, there must be an extra sons of Sunder. That my God. Can what's you imagine that a church meeting with you've got a couple of sons of thunder, whether they're ordained or not? You know, whether they were men or women. I mean, you know,
1: what, what's what's the phrase "sons of thunder" mean to you then?
2: Oh, bloody awkward! Okay, fair enough. <laughs> People who speak without thinking. Okay. Do you think that's true? Oh, bit- just a minute, just a minute. What is it, that wonderful thing. The faults of others are never so much a window into their soul as a mirror in which we may see our own. Yeah. So I'm thinking, gosh, sons of thunder. I think times in my ministry might have been effective because I didn't mean to be a son of thunder, but it was handled by God, not by me. <laughs> or the Holy Spirit. Come on, Neb, be thunderous. Don't encourage me. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe awkward, I like that. I mean,
1: they certainly are, aren't they, in a sense, and they're also very impulsive, aren't they? Um,
2: terribly um, human. Yeah. And the way that it's told is that both, I mean, it's there in Mark and it's there in Matthew, yeah. the, it's the mother who asks. But it's, the story's told really carefully. And when Alec Markahan, who before you um, learned the King James Version right the way through, so he did a wonderful thing. That you know that they were they asked Jesus. Um, I mean, they're sort of like this and hope that the disciples were out of earshot. And then <laughs> suddenly, as they say, you know, the excrement hit the fan. Um, and uh, the, the, you know, the ten were furious. Yeah. You know, we're meant to be a bunch together. And we're all together. And we're all in the same team. Yeah. These two are actually just one on our own. You know, we actually rather like you know we. Got the feeling they're going to be nicer seats and not so nice seats, could we have them, you know? Can you drink the cup from the which I drink from? Yeah. Yes, of course we can. You will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's a film of the Last Supper, then when Jesus picks up the cup, mm. then the camera pans to James and John, suddenly realizing what the words you will drink the cup mean. Wow.
1: That's very powerful. I love that. I've never thought of that before. That's amazing. What about the others? What about those other names in the in the list, though? Um, would you like to give an explanation as to why Simon is called Peter,
2: or is that too? Well, going- that no, that's because, isn't it? Because you know, because Peter is the rock. But you know, I think that G- Jesus calls him the rock because he's going to drop on him. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, never heard that one before either. That's really good. Um, so he's—is is it a nickname? Some people say it's because he's rocky, in other words, he's a sort of person who's very stubborn, very fixed in his ways, but also very loyal. Except, of course, he isn't.
2: <laughs> terribly sorry for him, but yeah. you know, he's willing, and At the time it's really awful, which when um, he's, you know, who do people say I am? You know, John, this, that, this, that, and the other, and then wonderful the way that she turns the whole thing on and says, okay, but what about you? Who do you say? And they're all looking at each other and wondering who on earth is going to open their mouth. And Peter comes crashing in with the Messiah, and you know, and says, "No, you mustn't." And she's really angry with him uh, for two reasons. One is that it may be that um, if in Jesus, in his humanity, would like to think that salvation could be achieved without being crucified. Mm-hmm. But the other is that, of course, that the word, the title, Messiah would have meant a whole lot of things. Yep. And Jesus didn't want it attached to him because I think it was Kenneth Grayson who said that one of the things the Messiah can do is to take a grape and produce 14 gallons of really very good wine. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you suddenly thought your minister could do that, you need know, all be following him and coming to church every week with a grape. Yeah. You know, that it, it would blow him off course or create the wrong kind of expectancy. so in fairness to peter you know and to jesus you know grasping what it means to be messiah and then you're back into this whole thing of the savior and the father which i find um i think it's worth staying with the question interesting
1: i think that i've noted that happening quite a lot in this conversation that you're quite resistant to coming up with a solution and staying with the question and and the mystery is actually more important to you and I think for me that's really really helpful Um, to focus and then make a decision about some things some things need to be explored
2: absolutely well I I don't want to upset too many people all at once but I think religious certainty is caused some awful problems.
1: Mm. Um. I was speaking to um, someone who calls himself a cultural Christian, someone who doesn't believe in God, but is nevertheless positive about the inheritance of Christianity in terms of being a civilizing influence. But he made a very interesting point the other day and he said, when Christianity was certain about itself, then it was most violent.
2: Well, well, gosh, yes. Then I think of that whole thing about when Christianity became the official religion and it moved away yeah. in, in the first 300 years or so. Mm. Um, well, Ched May's wonderful, huge commentary on Mark's Gospel, "Finding the Strong Man," mm. um, it's I think it's wonderful, and um, that so many things that, particularly in Mark's Gospel, um, Jesus really meant it. When you yeah. know that, and then where we, I mean, this is where Mark's gospel for today, for all of us, but whatever faith or none or whatever religion, mm. is the way forward. Yes, we're obviously worried about coal and electricity and all that, but if there was a really passionate concern with the people who are um, being starved to death, what happened earlier this week, and there were a village in Canada just exploded in five minutes, and the whole place was burnt down. If actually that the people who really are already suffering were high on the agenda of those in Glasgow, and of course it's going to be very difficult. And the trivial things that one tries to think to do about, you know, not eating bacon or avocado pears or giving money away to those in the front line. Mm. If the people at the bottom of the heap were being really cared for. Mm. And with COVID and the and the vaccinations, the early stages, you know, the people who knew about vaccinations, are we going to get them to the third world? Yeah. Because we'll not do anything for ourselves in the long run if we just simply vaccinate ourselves. Mm. And people who said there'd be a virus that would branch off in a different direction. Mm. Um and you know I'm <sighs> I do. I, I think Mark's Gospel judges us, but in a way that can be positive. You know what really matters.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, uh, yeah.
1: just
2: I, I, I am, and I don't know where it came from, but I've never really said it. I mean, I do think that. Mark is, you know, talking about the, the congregation that he was part of. Well, I, got this, I don't know where this comes from. Somebody said, Why did you, um, what made you write? United- well, I was the only person in our congregation that could write. Okay. <laughs> um, but he wrote it looking in the mirror. And looking in the mirror, not in despair, nor in masochistic guilt, looking in the mirror with hope because if and one i think there were moments certainly coming leading into ordination you know do you think god has called you and the answer is well yes do you trust his judgment no i don't but do you think he's going to leave you on you know going to ordain you and leave you and and sometimes the tragedies that have happened um yeah, and one has had a feeling there have been other Christians around who've had back to not preaching, but who've been alongside. And I think, I think that's the other thing about the silence at the end of Mark's gospel. It's How often it would be better if one didn't speak out of one's own experience, but hope that the silence is being fed by what you've read in the gospel um,
1: yeah. Neb it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you as always I come away feeling enriched um, I do hope that's the experience of those who are listening in on our conversation and um, without further ado thank you again for all you have oh, thank all you for you conversations. Conversations. bless you thank
2: you
0: if you enjoyed this episode of Question Mark and don't want to miss any future episodes, make sure to click on the subscribe button. This also means other people can find the podcast and join the conversation. We'd also love if you could leave a review so we know what was good and what we can improve for future episodes. Join us and our special guest next time where we'll continue to explore the greatest story ever told together. If you want to get involved with the podcast or have any questions or comments in the meantime, please do get in touch using the I Am Mark social media channels.
1: We'd love to hear from you. We light it up, we won't come down. And the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. And this is the greatest show. Where it's covered in all the colored lights. And the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. And this is the greatest show.